As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and it's that time of year again. It's World Cup preview time. The 2023 Women's World Cup kicks off in, I believe, 15 days, give or take a time zone or two. We're previewing every group and every team at the expanded tournament, and we're using our patented model to do so. And by patented, I mean none of us could really remember the format, and hopefully we don't know it now. We'll find out. Let's do some introductions. Graham Ruthven, do you feel comfortable in the format? Uh, I do. I feel more comfortable knowing that Herve Renard is going to be mm-hmm. at another World Cup. It wouldn't yep. be a World Cup if he wasn't there. I was writing about him today. I am excited for, for this World Cup. It kind of crept up on me a little bit, just the way that the end of the club season has been. And there's been a lot on our plates with the Men's World Cup yep. in December, of course. But now that it's here, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty pumped for this. The major question around France and Hervé Renard is, will he be able to find an even more form-fitting shirt that will really, like, (laughs) barely uh, button together? Or do you think they don't have that technology yet? I'm wondering if it's the same shirt that he's worn in every single job. He's he's worn Af- he's won Afcon twice in that shirt. <laughs> Somebody told me when I got married that you should like keep your wedding shirt for special occasions, and he keeps his new hire shirt, and he's just worn it 400 times at this point. The man's been around. Uh, Joe Lowry uh, has been around doing some preview. Joe Lowry, are you ready for today's episode? I, I hope so, man. I'm stoked for these episodes. Graham and I talked about this a little bit on the Patreon episode that we did just talking about these previews and kind of the process that goes into them. Mm-hmm. I always have like a, a sick amount of fun researching these episodes. Um, I know, Graham, you're kind of in that same boat as well. It's yeah. like taking in so much new information with a few bits that you already knew and get even more excited about. I'm all for that. Um, and Taylor, not to take shots at this friend of yours that gave you that advice. Mm-hmm. I've never heard that before. And I, I, I sort of, I guess I struggle with that a little bit as a concept, either because it might be harder to fit into it a few years down yeah. the line after you know, all these different years. And I, I just, I don't know. I'm struggling to get on board with that piece of advice, but I, I am nonetheless excited yeah. for this episode. I'm pretty sure I do have my suit from my wedding, but it's like three suits back. It's like rings on a tree. Yeah. Like, you know, like, that's, that's <laughs> my, my, my waistline is plotted in the suits that sit in my wardrobe and no longer get worn. Do you still fit into your uh, denim Jinko tuxedo, Grant? 
<laughs> yeah, but it doesn't look very good anymore. Yeah, as opposed to when you first put it on. Uh, yeah, when rounding, it was fire. <laughs> rounding out our crew <laughs> is not Ryan Bailey, which is why I'm doing the introductions. What? Ryan Bailey is on his much-deserved 14th vacation of the year, I believe, if I'm keeping track <laughs> correctly. Uh, he has gone to a place where they apparently don't have internet, despite his best efforts. So, stepping in at the last minute is Mr. David Goss. David, how you feeling, my friend? It's called a holiday. Uh-huh. Excuse it's not me. A it's a many retirement, I think, Guy exactly. called it. But I can speak in a British accent with sort of more high-pitched that's moments okay. up yeah, and down. That's all right. If you need yeah. I mean, Ryan would rather speak with an American accent, I think, even if he'll never admit that. <laughs> so I think you're pretty, pretty finely positioned. I could probably charge like 50 to 100 bucks more an hour to everyone I work for if I had a British accent. Correct. Uh, so. <laughs> uh, so we I'm are each taking a team uh, from Group A of Taylor the moved World Taylor moved us so Cup. swiftly past that. Guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, Can I say I, I am stoked to be invited? I've listened to these shows for years. I normally walk around before a tournament getting excited. I vividly remember yelling out loud during one of the Euro previews. I thought one of you was so wrong. Uh-oh. And mm-hmm. I think you ended it was up Ryan. being right. Just say it was Yeah, Ryan. probably. I think it was a conversation about Sweden, and then Sweden was a huge letdown, and I was like, damn it. Now <laughs> I can't text Taylor and be like, you guys are idiots. <laughs> and yet you probably still did. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if David gets any uh, text messages today for any of his previewing. Uh, but we're going to use, as I said, the sort of categories that we've come up with. We've got them into groups. Graham, let's start with you. What national team will you be previewing? What is their nickname? What's the nickname you're assigning them? And what is the sort of story of how they got here? So the first team that I am looking into for Group A is New Zealand, one of the the co-hosts, of course, of this tournament. They are nicknamed the Football Ferns, um, which is actually their second nickname. For a long time, they were known as the Swans, like an acronym, S-W-A-N-Z or Z, um, which is the initials of the Women's Soccer Association of New Zealand. In 2006, there was an effort to come up with a better nickname than that, and Annalie Longo, who is a national team player, came up with the the Ferns nickname, which references the the logo of the the national team, which is a Fern. It's a, a very nice logo, I might say. As for a TSS unofficial nickname... I am going for the Abundant Sheep. No, I'm not actually going for the Abundant Sheep, although the reason for that would be quite factual. There are more sheep than people in New Zealand. In fact, there are 10 sheep for every one person in New Zealand. Um, So sheep are dominant in this country. I'm going to go for my real TSS nickname, though I'm going for... Not much better than Qatar, at least on uh, on recent form in terms of being a, a host nation. I'm not so sure that this is going to go so well for New Zealand. Um, the story of how they got to this World Cup is pretty simple. They are co-hosts, so they automatically qualified for the tournament. And New Zealand has qualified for every Women's World Cup since 2003. So they are a team with pedigree. They have a bit of quality. They have been at this level before. They may have qualified uh, for this tournament anyway, such as the quality that they have, although there is a bit of debate over that. Their form at the moment is very, very poor. So actually, maybe they're a little bit fortunate to have qualified as, as, as automatic hosts. And there is a sense, if we go back through those tournaments that I've just mentioned that New Zealand have qualified for, if you actually look at how they performed at those tournaments, there is a sense that they have underachieved at previous World Cups. They have finished bottom of the group in each of the last four World Cups. And in fact, New Zealand, quite unbelievably, haven't won a single match out of 15 in World Cup play, which is quite remarkable for a team that has 
you know, traditionally a fairly strong national team programme on the women's side. No team has played as many Women's World Cup matches without winning a single one. So that's where the pressure is for this New Zealand team this summer. As co-hosts, the expectation is that they will make the knockout rounds, even if they are in pretty dreadful form at the moment. They have lost six of the seven matches that they have played in 2023. That's not ideal. They've scored three goals since June 2022. They've scored three goals in a calendar year. Pardon I'll me? come on to that. Yep, that is a true story. That is a fact. So I'll come on right. to that on the tactical side of things. Don't expect this team to score many goals and maybe don't expect this team to be very good. All right, so not much better than Qatar. Starting us off, we go to Joe. Joe, who's your team? What's their nickname? And what's the nickname you're giving them and why? So I'll get to all of that. Graham, I don't appreciate you slandering the team that has a a player who attends Arizona State University on their squad. Gabby Rennie plays for ASU. I'm not an ASU guy, to be clear. I'm I'm like mostly pro all of the other schools in, in the state of Arizona, but... I mean, got to give some home okay, state good, pride. Because we're all so, really the, locked in on that, Joe. I figured you were. <laughs> so thanks for I know how much you care about these sort of regional collegiate rivalries. Yeah. Um, Joe, Joe did push hard for that to be a category of uh, teams' connection to Arizona. He really wanted that one thrown in for every <laughs> single team. It would have been a difficult one, I think. That's so correct. There is actually a bit of excitement about Gabby Rennie. She might there actually start up front in the front two. I'll come on to that a little bit later Let's on. Let's go. That's incredible. Um, all right, let's let's talk about Norway instead of ASU for a while. Their nickname is the Grasshoppen, which translates to the Grasshoppers. Um, why is that, you ask? Well, uh, the best I could do in terms of finding out the answer to that question is just finding out the fact that there are a lot of grasshoppers that live in Norway. But <laughs> I, I really, after a long time spent researching this question, probably too long, I'm not sure why the Norwegian women's national team is called the Grasshoppers. But here we are nonetheless. The Grasshoppen are in the World Cup. The nickname that I have given them, their TSS nickname is, takes a deep breath, the fighting everybody in the UK except England and pretty much every former British colonies. That is what their nickname is. And the reason why is because they have suffered at the hands of the English in a big way. And that makes them just like a lot of those other folks that are tied in yeah, join the British colonies. And, yeah, join the club, as Graham says. They're looking to move past that in this World Cup. And really what I'm getting at there is a massive loss to England back at the Euros, the most recent Euros. They lost a game 10-3 to to England in that most recent tournament. It was a brutal result for Norway that resulted in managerial change, which I'll talk about momentarily The big question for Norway at this competition is, can they bounce back? Like, can they save face after embarrassment at the Euros and make a real run? Because they have the talent to do so. They have the talent. They have the history, certainly, as one of the the real powers in women's international soccer. They won the Women's World Cup back in 1995. They've been to every Women's World Cup in history, making this their ninth appearance. They have real attacking talent. They are just outside this top group of contenders, though. They're 12th in the FIFA rankings. They're 14th in the ELO ratings, which is another way of establishing a team's quality. Like, they're in this next tier after the U.S. and France and Germany and certainly England. Also, excuse me, it wasn't a 10-3 loss. It was an 8-0 loss. That's my mistake. I don't know what happened on that earlier. It was a massive loss for for Norway at that competition almost exactly a year ago. They didn't get out of their group. Uh, the pressure's on for them to make some sort of a run here. And they've got the talent, if not necessarily the consistency, to get that done. All right. So the grasshoppers who 
have no logical explanation for why they are called the Grasshoppers, other than I'm assuming it's an erroneous nickname that people needed to not just keep calling them the Norway national team. Joe, Correct. does that check out yeah, for you? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Every preview is like everything you need to know about the Grasshoppers, except for why they're called the Grasshoppers. Uh, so I look forward to someone informing us if that is if there is an actual answer. Two teams down. David Goss, tell us about the Philippines. Yeah, so their nickname is the Filipinas which seemed pretty straightforward, but I also kind of liked, so I wasn't going to yep. push too hard about it. My nickname, I wanted to go Did with something. Did you get any ind- indications as to why they were called that, Joe? It's yeah, a, there's actually re- some really <laughs> interesting... I'm calling you the wrong name across the board. There's some really interesting research, actually, about their time with England as a colony, and therefore they nicknamed themselves the Filipinos. Mm-hmm. I didn't totally follow that, Joe, by mm-hmm. the way, so I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll, we'll workshop it for next time. We'll workshop it for next time. Um... I wanted to nickname the volcanoes because there are multiple islands in the Philippines that have more volcanoes than towns. And, and so, like, it is a highly volcanic place. Um, people in the Philippines speak over 187 languages, too. That was just fun. But I went for the soccer side, and basically my two naming conventions are going to be the same. They're not Thailand, is my nickname for them, which is last World Cup. Thailand was one of the debutantes with the expanded World Cup. There's going to be a decent amount of them. There's going to be some lopsided games. There's going to be some probably uncomfortable uh, performances. I don't think the Philippines are going to be in that group. Uh, they qualified by winning by getting to the semifinals of last year's uh, Asian Cup in India, which was used for qualification in Asia. So there wasn't a long qualifying process. Uh, they were able to get out of their group in which they beat Thailand for the first time in their nation's history. They crushed Indonesia, and then they lost to Australia 4-0, and then they beat China, Taipei, in penalty kicks, which got them from the quarters to the semis, which is what took them to the World Cup. Um, and then they won a SIA Cup late last year, which is like a Southeast Asian tournament that also includes Australia's U23s. They went to Europe earlier this year for a tournament. They lost 1-0 to Wales, 2-1 to Scotland, and then 5-0 Woo-hoo. to Iceland, which doesn't really help my uh, my argument on the not Thailand thing, but... I still think this is a team, and I'll talk about it, but it's a team with a ton of talent from around the world. It's more about getting them on the same page quickly than not having that talent. And one example is there's very few players from Philippines on this team. Ina Palacios is one of them. And she said the mentality, the the experience is completely different from what it has ever been over the first 10 years. And a lot of that goes to the new coach, who was Australia's women's coach, which... Uh, we will dig into it in a little bit, but his quote about them coming out of qualifying was, for the World Cup, I don't know how good we'll be, but I know we're heading in the right direction. My analogy is we've climbed a little hill in Southeast Asia, but now we have to climb the mountains of Asia and the rest of the world. He has very specifically said, I'm not really sure that we're that good, but I'm excited. Building the hype right there. We might be good. We might be terrible. We'll find out. That's what you want to hear from your coach heading into a major tournament. Although I think it's probably realistic expectation setting. Uh, for me, rounding out the group, I've got Switzerland, the Swiss, uh, nicknamed La Natty, which is similar to the Natty uh, of the men's side, which is just the national team. But I'm taking it a step further. My nickname for them is the Dramedy Pilot. Uh, when you have your pilot episode of a TV show, you have your core cast that you need to click. You can have supporting actors who maybe don't fill out the roles necessarily well right away. But as long as you have that core group doing what they need to, then you will be fine. And you always want to leave that dramedy pilot episode on sort of a cliffhanger. Like the first episode of Righteous Gemstones definitely leaves you on a bit of a cliffhanger wanting more. And that's what this Swiss team do. They tend to leave it late. They tend to leave the drama for the very final moments. Uh, And they are a team that is very much built around their core squad of players. 
We'll talk about them uh, a bit as we go here in this episode. But this is a team that consistently leave it late in how they qualify. They did that the first time they qualified in 2015. When they failed to qualify in 2019, it was in the very final stages of qualifying. And this time around, uh, they had Wales in the playoff with Fabian Hume scoring in the 121st minute. So one minute of, of extra time before penalties. She scores for the 2-1 to one win to qualify for them for this tournament. That's awesome. And that is how it has been for them, at least until late, where they haven't won a game since that qualifier in October 22. Uh, in October, yeah, 2022. They've lost a friendly to Denmark, drew three straight, uh, and then lost to Iceland and had a draw with Zambia. Some of those, they're not scoring goals at all. The Zambia game, they drew 3-3. So they're either not scoring or scoring a bunch, and when they do score, it tends to be late. That will also factor into my specific predictions as well. They scored 15 in a game against Moldova, a qualifier against Moldova in September. I want to know if the English media watched Switzerland celebrate once they scored past 10 and how they felt about that. Were they okay about celebrating once they got 12, 13, 14, 15 goals? I mean, I have several hundred pages of notes on that game, that game specifically, Graham. So yeah, we can get into that. I'm down to do so. I suppose first we should take a break, then we'll come back to talk about uh, managers and tactics back soon. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back. We continue our preview of Group A at this summer's World Cup. Graham, tell us about... Who do you have again? New Zealand. <laughs> New Zealand. New Zealand. The tell us sheep. about their manager and their tactics. So, Jika Klimkova is the New Zealand head coach for this World Cup. Her name might be familiar to American soccer fans because she is a former US U19 and U20 head coach. And Klimkova is under a bit of pressure right now because of a very poor build-up to the, the tournament. And the Federation have had to publicly stand by her more than once amid questions over a potential change. Could they maybe make a change before the start of the tournament? That isn't going to happen. She is going to be the manager for this tournament. If this World Cup itself goes poorly, I think it's almost a given that there will be a change made after this tournament. So there is a lot on the line for her. In terms of how Klinkova sets up her team, it will almost certainly be a, a 4-4-2 shape at this World Cup. This is the shape that New Zealand have used throughout Klinkova's time in in, in charge Uh, and even when results haven't been that great she is stuck with this formation for better or worse so I think it's pretty certain there are other teams that I have previewed there's there's a bit more fluidity I'm not so certain but this is going to be a a 4-4-2 for for New Zealand Um, while she generally does keep that same shape she is known, Klimkova, for changing the team from game to game in terms of the team selection. And she has actually faced some criticism for tinkering a bit too much, a bit of a Claudio Ranieri, Tinkerman situation going on there. And some argue that New Zealand, even though they have had some bad injuries, which I'll come on to a little bit later on, so there has been 
a need for chopping and changing and rotating, but some argue that New Zealand would be in a better position if Klimkova had allowed chemistry to dem- to develop Excuse me, in, in some areas of the pitch ahead of this tournament. They aren't known, New Zealand, for being a creative team. In the attacking phase, they will feed off scraps in games. Um, they are ranked among the lowest teams at this World Cup for things like touches in the final third, final third passes, touches in the pen- penalty area per match, things like that. And as I mentioned earlier, they've scored three goals since June 2022. So that is not great. Um, they do, however, have a, a good conversion rate on the chances they do create, which I don't know whether that's a good or a bad thing, because at least if they were whiffing on a, a number of, like, if, if they were underperforming their XG, you can say, well, you know, maybe it's going to come together at the World Cup. They're not really doing that. They're scoring the goals that uh, they really warrant in the matches that they're playing. But when they have an opportunity, they are they are good at making sure it counts for something. On the defensive side, New Zealand, in some matches, they're well organised that I watched. Um, they are pretty quick to snap back into a back four when they lose the ball. That is a pretty straightforward um, strategy that they've got there. So one player closes down, the rest then maintain the defensive structure. They focus on tracking opposition runners and, and, and covering space. Having said that, that is their ga- their game plan. They don't often execute that game plan very well. I watched their most recent friendly against Nigeria, which is the last warm-up game that they played before this tournament, and they had real trouble with crosses into the box, both in terms of tracking the runners and also engaging on things like headers. They were losing a lot of aerial duels. So that wasn't encouraging either, particularly because without that basis, I think New Zealand are going to struggle, as I've already covered. They don't score a lot of goals but if things go well for them at this tournament it'll be because they've they they try to stay robust first and foremost and then they rely on players like Hassett I'll come on to some key players later on um, Hassett to get them going in, in, in the middle of the pitch and they play into Chance and Wilkinson and basically allow those players to cook they have a bit of quality in the final third the idea is let's just stay compact robust get those players some space and see what happens it's, it is quite a rudimentary approach but we have seen teams at international level where you don't maybe have the time and the freedom to implement intricate tactical structures. We've we've seen approaches like this succeed in the past. So who knows? Joe yeah, Scally and- is nodding along. Go ahead, Joe. <laughs> Joe, Joe Scally is nodding aggressively in the background. Yeah, Graham, all of what you just said lines up with what I'd seen from this New Zealand team against the U.S. That was back in January of this year. The U.S. traveled to New Zealand to get used to you know, that process, really of flying across halfway across the world to to make that happen, to go through the rhythms of that and also to play a couple of games. It wasn't New Zealand's first-choice squad, even. Uh, they lost 5-0 and then 4-0 to the U.S., and it was a lot of compact defending, which, to be fair, is, is what most teams outside of the elite tend to do against the United States. But it was a lot of compact defending. It's very clear that against better teams, and that's most of the teams at this World Cup, against better teams, New Zealand will choose to be compact and will try to absorb as much pressure as possible and attack on the break. Whether or not they can do that, and you got to this well, is a totally different question. By the way, I so I'll be doing Australia coming up, obviously, co-host. The, you mentioned that friendly series against the U.S., which was one of what has been for both these countries bizarre moments of like not rating a calendar, where it was a non-FIFA date. New Zealand wasn't able to bring any of their players. Australia had a situation where they scheduled England and Spain, and like they were like, we can't bring our best players because they're overplayed. And there's been a lot of these moments, I feel like, for both these countries over the last four years, and it feels like it's been a very weird build-up to a World Cup, especially when you come off the back of, like, Qatar trying to build a club team in 11 years using $17 billion. Yeah. 
I do think I have some sympathy in that New Zealand and, and Australia are always going to be a, a bit of a disadvantage due to their geographical right. location. And Australia in particular have a, a roster with players, you know, playing in the NWSL and playing in the Women's Super League in England and a couple in Scotland and obviously a lot playing in the A-League. And, and New Zealand have a, a similar sort of situation as well, a similar sort of spread. So it is difficult with the different schedules and the, the, the places that their their players are playing in to get them all together. And actually, I think that has been a factor. When I said that Klimkova has faced criticism for not building ke- the chemistry within this team enough before this tournament, I think she would argue that is a reason why that hasn't happened. Fascinating. This is all very fascinating. I'm very much enjoying this. I love our World Cup previews because you start to pick up the information and you feel somewhat prepared for when the tournament begins. I'm feeling even more prepared about New Zealand to be uninspiring, but maybe competent. We'll find out as we continue these. Joe, tell us more about Norway. Yeah, so Norway are coached by Heg Risa, 53-year-old Norwegian manager. Uh, she's done a lot of good work in her time in charge so far. 11 games, four wins, three draws, and four losses. And some of those more difficult results have come against really strong opposition. I'll talk about that in just a second. But Risa is a legendary Norwegian player. She's a legend on the women's soccer side. She's the most capped player in Norway's history, was a midfielder, played her uh, her matches in Norway and Japan and the U.S., 188 caps for Norway. She retired in 2006, started to get into coaching at that point, coached at the club level in Norway. And then, you know, maybe this is a name that certain U.S. women's national team fans will know. In 2009, she was an assistant coach with the USWNT she was there until 2012. She was there for the Olympic win as well in that last year during her time on staff. Then she became, at one point, an interim head coach for England after Phil Neville left to go take the Inter-Miami job and before Serena Wiegmann came and really made that role and that team into her own. She coached Team GB at the Olympics in 2021 and then came back to Norway to take charge of the women's U19s in 2021. And after that defeat, that massive loss to England in the Euros, she then took charge of the senior women's national team in 2022. So that's her background a little bit about Risa as a player and as a manager, her pedigree. This team, this Norway team under Risa is fun to watch. Like they haven't always gotten all the results against the big teams. So their last three games were a 3-3 draw with Sweden on April 11th, a 4-2 loss of Spain on April 6th, and a 0-0 draw with France on February 21st. So that does kind of show them as this maybe second-tier kind of B-plus international team coming into this tournament. But, man, they have tons of talent, and they play fun soccer. Like, I I will heavily endorse watching a Norway game at this tournament. They have the skill to control the ball against worse teams. You know, they will certainly dominate some of those moments, but they will cede possession against the best. And that pattern kind of followed watching you know large stretches of those three games I just mentioned against Sweden, Spain, and France. They are not totally dogmatic about how they want to play. Risa is willing to be pragmatic in moments. They will spread the field in possession. They're fluid when they have the ball in terms of they'll drop a fullback back to make a back three. So they'll kind of play with that elbow back kind of player. They'll spread the attacking players really, really wide, push the central midfielders up into the half spaces. I saw a lot of 4-3-3 with two aggressive kind of free number eights floating into those half spaces in the attacking lines and then giving their wingers some freedom to step wider. Although, in a lot of ways, it's the attacking players. It's the wingers and the number nine that really define how this team plays in the attack and that govern some of those rotations. So there's fluidity there. Defensively, they will press high in a 4-3-3 and then drop into a 4-5-1. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if we saw 
some 4-2-3-1, and a couple of other shapes from this team at this competition. They are fluid in how they play, which, again, makes them fun to watch. You combine you know, Reese's style with a lot of the talent that they have that I'm stoked to talk about, and you end up with a pretty fun, if not always successful, on-field product. To me, it's pretty clear that this team has improved since that embarrassment to England at the Euros, and we'll find out just how much they've improved under Risa in literal weeks now. Joe, one of the things I remember about Norway at, at the Euros was the complete collapse of their midfield in some of the games that they played there. Um, I won't steal your thunder by naming names, but they have a very talented attack with two or three genuine world-class talents. Yeah. But in the games they played at the Euros, it was almost top-heavy where they were just completely isolated and the middle of their team was just... Uh, what do you call it, Joe? Like the horseshoe of sadness. That's your, that's your term, <laughs> yeah. right? It, was, it wasn't my turn. That came from a podcast I did with the folks at Moontown Soccer. I believe that's, uh, right. that's the right name. And it's well, basically where you just pass the ball them. around the, at the edge of the 18, sort of back and forth yeah. in the final third, but you don't make any real progress. Yeah. So from the sounds of it, from your, your preview there, it sounds like that won't happen at this tournament. Is, is there, has there been a, a, a real kind of improvement under the new manager since then? Well, in that regard, so, specific regard? So it almost seems to me like you're talking about two different things there, Graham. Maybe I, maybe I didn't understand the question fully. I don't think the horseshoe of sadness will be a real issue for this team. I think their ability to penetrate in the attack and create chances will absolutely be there, even against good teams. They have the quality to be able to do that. And then they have a clear way of playing under Risa. I am not particularly confident about this team as you move further and further back into the midfield, into the back line. All of the key players that I have called out for this group are either attack-minded midfielders, number eight kind of players, or wingers and strikers, right? This, this team, they're clearly, clearly their biggest strength lies in that attacking line and, and maybe the attacking part of midfield. I think they are still absolutely vulnerable as they push players forward at times leaving that midfield you know, underdeveloped and in under undermanned in those spaces. So I, I think that could end up being a problem for this group. All right. That would be Norway. David Goss, tell us about the Philippines, their manager, and their tactics. So their manager is Alan Stagich, who's a 49-year-old from Australia. He was Australia's women's head coach from 2014 to 2019. So he led them to the 2015 World Cup where he became – the first Australian on the men's or women's side to ever win a World Cup match as a head coach. Uh, they then went to the 2016 Olympics where they lost to Brazil in penalty kicks. And if you remember, he was let go in 2019 and Sam Kerr pretty quickly tweeted out a very odd message of like, I was excited to play for Alan Stadrich and the program he built. Since then, it has never been confirmed why he got fired. The Australian FA sort of said like, there's private legal stuff that would shock you that we can't talk about. They have walked that back since. And wow. I believe Alan Stadgett has won a, a suit against them for a lot of money for wrongful defamation or firing or whatever it was. It's still pretty unknown. In the meantime, he coached Central Coast Mariners on the men's side, fairly successful with them, and then took over the Philippines in 2021, a program that was 68th in the world, had no history of success. And they, as we talked about, qualified through their Asian um, a, a Asian Cup run. He then re-upped his contract right at that point for the rest of the cycle. He won the SIA Cup. He's also taken over the U17 and U20 programs as well. So it's kind of a really top-down build. This team is almost exclusively made up of players from the diaspora who are not from the Philippines. And um, Sadrick actually talks about it's actually a tough passport to get. 
and they have a lawyer who's on his hobby time out getting these women passports and finding them Hmm. or the national team will find them and bring them to him and he will work on the passport process for all of them. And it seems like with the success of qualifying, now the government has sort of opened the door to like, oh, if you want to call them in, we can find a way to get them passports. And so it has shifted a lot over the last year or so. They play in a 4-4-2 for the most part, 4-2-3-1 as well. They are fairly direct, but really effective with it. And they have some really good strength in midfield, but a lot of it is their front two. And so the two forwards, they'll play one into space over the top into the channel. And then it will be runners coming in behind sort of supporting there. And that's their plans offensively as they go forward. Defensively, it'll be interesting because they don't normally sit that deep. But they are playing at a different level than what we have seen. And that's part of what that experience was going to Europe. So it'll be really interesting to see how deep they play. They do commit numbers when they get into the attack. They are very good at transition defense in the other direction, whether it's an intelligent foul or, you know, a group of people crowding and counter-pressing just to slow the attack the other way. Um, but as I said, with the diaspora group, there is not a ton of fluidity in the team as they're getting to know each other. Plus, you add in travel and all the other things they have to deal with. So it feels like it's going to be a lot on the fly to the point where we don't have a full roster yet. A ton of these players play in multiple positions depending on who else is in the team. And we don't know who else those people are. And the range of players is from players who are playing for some of the top teams in Europe to there is currently a Frisco, Texas high school junior that is part of the uh, program that could get called into this World Cup. That's not bad. Uh, it would be better if it were somewhere in Arizona, but we'll take Frisco, right. Texas. It's close. There is a lot you, of American connection on this team. I can get there for you, Joe. Let me work on it. Please do. Please do. Yeah, I've been trying to do the same thing with Switzerland. I've struggled so far. Graham uh, did it just right out of the gate, guys. Be like Graham. Be more like Graham. <laughs> yes, let's all be more like Graham. Don't do that. Nobody wants to do that. Uh, well, Switzerland's manager, manager Inka Grings, is a native of uh, Arizona slash Germany. She's from Germany. Uh, she won the Euros with Germany twice as a player, 2005 and 2009. Retired as a player in 2014. Went into management that same year was managing in Germany until she got the FC Zurich Frauen job in the Swiss League. Uh, She had that, and then she moved on to becoming the Swiss national team manager and brought, slash some of them were already there, but she brought Zurich players with her. There are six on this team, plus three from Servets, which is also in the domestic league. So nine players from, from the domestic league, where you would assume the manager who used to manage there has a bit of connection to them. Um, the team itself, I think, is most likely to play a version of a 4-1-3-2. They've played a lot of different games, in there, a lot of different uh, shapes and styles in the lead-up to this tournament, but it tends to be something approximating that with two primary strikers. A lot of it has to do with where uh, Sernogorsevic ends up playing. Anna Maria Sernogorsevic could be a forward, could be a winger, could be a central midfielder, can even be a defender if you need. Uh, A lot of versatility there. Uh, But my guess is that you're going to see a front two uh, where there is uh, one sort of making the runs in behind, one dropping in to link up play. A lot of numbers committed forward into the attack when they are focused on the attack and trying to make something happen. Otherwise, they can 
do a good job of sitting deeper and defending and frustrating opposition. Uh, one thing I would note in the games that I watched, it was pretty routine for the left back, who is usually Noel uh, Moritz of Arsenal, to get very far forward in the attack, which helps because basically that al- allows Sernogorsevich to tuck inside and you can get n- more numbers central. The problem was that Switzerland were at times pretty wasteful in possession. And when they were, there is a 30 to 40 yard gap in that back line as a result. And that is where Zambia were able to score at least one of their goals in that recent friendly, the 3 3 draw, with Switzerland just overcommitting numbers. And Zambia basically committing three attackers, and it was a 3v2. So Switzerland can very much be gotten at on the defensive side if they are overcommitting numbers, if they're trying to make something happen. If they find themselves down early, I could see them conceding another one. Let's say they go 1-0 down to Norway in the first 15. Uh, I could see them conceding one or two more trying to press and make something happen or trying to push those numbers forward. So it, it, it can be a team that is more defensive, as we saw in qualifying. Uh, they can sort of frustrate at the same time. It's a team that scored 44 goals. Graham pointed that one out. Uh, but uh, my math tells me that 21 of them were against Moldova, 11 of them against Lithuania over two games uh, for each of those. So suddenly that 44 drops to 11 in six games. And looks slightly less inspiring. That said, they're still scoring goals. They're still creating. Uh, and again, a lot of that goal scoring and creativity will have to do with if they're able to have their three primary assets on the pitch. But we'll talk about those individuals here in the next segment. Uh, unless any of you all have any questions about uh, Inca Grings and her tenuous connections to Arizona and her tactics, then I'll say let's take us to a break. My main question would just be, are you going to put a trigger warning on this episode for Moldovans and anyone related to the Moldovan <laughs> national team? Because they are they're getting smoked for a second or third time in the podcast. <laughs> D- don't have Switzerland score twenty one on you. And yeah. I don't have. I don't have to make these comments. Uh, I don't. Let me let me pull up qualifying real quick. Uh, what did Italy do against them? I'm gonna guess Italy had some pretty sizable wins. Uh, just three nil and two nil. Wow, Italy. Italy took it easy. No, wow. excuse me, three nil and six nil. Italy took it easy. There we go. Just nine nil total. Uh, let's take a quick break. Then let's come back to learn about some key players, some omissions, and maybe some specific predictions. Back soon. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. 
So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back. Final segment of sorts, Graham Ruthven. Tell me about the key players for New Zealand, the team that I know that you are previewing now. Yes, yeah, so New Zealand, as I kind of referenced earlier in my preview, they actually have a, a, a good deal of quality. Um, there will be some teams that I preview at, at, before this tournament that maybe listeners haven't heard of. There will be a, a good few names here that are familiar to certainly fans of the NWSL. One such player being Ali Riley, who plays for Angel City FC. She is the New Zealand captain. She is the, the leader of this team. She's the most experienced figure on the team, she's got over 150 caps to her name. She has played at a high level of the game throughout her career. Most expect, there is a bit of variance on this, but most expect that Riley will be playing on the right side of, of, the, of the back four. But it has been mentioned that she could be moved into central defence to just provide a bit more presence if New Zealand need it. I kind of predict that Riley will start on the right and then maybe if things don't go so well, she gets moved into central defence just to, as I say, provide that bit of presence. If Riley does play at centre-back, then Grace Neville could slot in at right-back. She switched her nationality to New Zealand recently, playing for England at U17 and U19 levels. So there's a bit of excitement around her. Betsy Hassett is, is another experienced figure in this New Zealand team. She is a central midfielder for Wellington Phoenix in the A-League. Um, Klimkova generally tends to or has recently built her midfield around Hassett. She is the one who likes to get on the ball and give New Zealand control, which they will certainly hope to have in the game uh, the game against the Philippines, which really will kind of decide their... I think there's a good chance that game will decide their entire tournament, whether they win that or not. Uh, Daisy Cleverly will likely be Hassett's partner in the centre of the pitch, uh, and Cleverly is a, a, a true anchor. She will stay deep in the midfield, uh, which Hassett likes to do as well, and they do take it in turns dropping in, but there is a, a good relationship between the the pair there. I have to mention uh, Rhea Percival as well. So she's she's a bit of a she's in a bit of a Juliet situation for New Zealand, where she's been out for a long time. She was hugely important to this team. She's huge, hugely experienced. If she is fully fit and sharp, then she probably starts for New Zealand, um, and she could still come back into this team. But there are questions about whether she will be fully fit and sharp for this tournament. If she does play, she will be a fulcrum again for the World Cup in, in the centre of the pitch. In goal, Vic Essen, she only made her New Zealand de- debut in November 2021, but she, she's very quickly made herself first choice. Then in attack, Hannah Wilkinson will be New Zealand's uh, biggest goal threat in attack. She's got over 100 caps. She's scored 27 goals in her international career. She plays for 
Melbourne City, um, but she's also a successful professional artist and has works in galleries around the world, including a, an exhibition of anime-style paintings at the IOC headquarters in Switzerland. So she's an interesting person and a, and a good striker. <laughs> she will be the likely the number nine in this um, New Zealand team. It will be dual centre-forwards uh, and alongside Wilkinson, It'll likely be Joe's new favourite player, Gabby Rennie, Arizona's own Gabby Rennie. She's only 20 years old, um, but has shown huge improvement while playing for uh, the Arizona State Sun Devils. Great name, by the way. That's what I'm going to start calling. That's what I'm going to start calling you, Joe, a Sun Devil. Um, So yeah, Rennie will likely be an important player, although Paige Satchel will provide some competition for that place. And then earlier in my review, I mentioned Olivia Chance as well. She is one of the few difference makers in in a wide position. Uh, CJ Bott is another quality player who can spearhead attacks. Um, So it is a squad with a decent amount of quality. They don't have many. They've got a few household names, not many. Um, but I would expect that they will be competitive, um, but maybe not get out of the group. In terms of emissions, Katie Rood is missing. So Rhea Percival has made the squad. Don't know whether she will feature much, but Katie Rood is missing after suffering an ACL injury. That is a story we'll hear a number of times throughout these uh, previews, unfortunately. Uh, Annalie Longo hasn't played a lot recently and was a doubt, but she is in the, the squad. So I'm not so sure about some of the fitness of these players, but Klinkova can feel pretty good about the fact that pretty much all of our big players are available. Just finally, Taylor, do you want me to give me the VSP now, uh, for me to give you the VSP now, or do you want to do that later? No, let's do it later. Let's save that for okay. what, for the final final one as we're just kind of running back through. My my one question for you though, Graham, I saw Michaela Moore made the reserve uh, list of players. Who do you expect to score the own goal uh, hat trick in the first half? Aww. <laughs> is the answer Michaela Moore? <laughs> <laughs> she did it against the United States. Oh, I wasn't sure if anybody was going to be doing that again. I'm actually sad she's not on this roster because I was hoping for a little bit of a redemption arc for her. Maybe she'll end up making it in as a reserve player. Uh, and maybe they'll need someone to uh, do some defending against Norway, Joe, because it does feel like Norway are the team that we can more or less pencil in, write in an ink, whichever one you want to go with, as our, our top seed, our team most likely to come out uh, on top of this group. It, it really does feel that way, right? Taylor, you and I texted a bit about this earlier this week. There's always the trap of as you preview a team, maybe mm-hmm. Goss and Graham aren't mm-hmm. falling into this trap, Taylor, no, and it's I'm, just you I'm and in. me. Um, the Philippine-Australia <laughs> Women's World Cup final is going to be awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's always this trap that you get way too excited about your team um, and, yep. and sort of feel like they're perfect. Yep. And I don't think Norway are perfect, but I'm just so confident in this team at least yep. being fun. I mean, they were fun for the neutral even at the Euros, and and sort of how epically they flopped, and that spurred a lot of change. So I don't think this team is going to flop. I think they will absolutely get out of the group. And probably the biggest reason for that is how much talent they have. Like, they have a ton of players playing for big clubs around Europe in their 23-player squad. I mean, you've got Barcelona, Lyon, Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester United, Bayern Munich, some in Italy, some some in Norway as well. But, like, there's a lot of players playing at the very highest levels of the women's game. And the one that's done that at the highest level, most recently, is Caroline Graham Hansen, 28-year-old winger, plays for FC Barcelona, scored five goals for Norway in qualifying. They, they waltzed through qualifying for the most part and made it to this tournament. Scored 11 goals in just 781 minutes for Barcelona. 11 goals in less than 800 minutes. Like, that is a ridiculous tally. That was in the league last year and another couple of goals in the Champions League. Now, she did miss a big chunk of this past season, obviously, by that minutes tally with a thigh injury, and then picked up a, another little knee injury more recently. Also sat out some national team games as well due to fatigue. 
Like, that is a, a problem, really, a, across the soccer world right now. But she's back and playing. She played in the Champions League final that Barcelona won against Wolfsburg. That was recently. Like, she is just this crazy, skilled player. On the ball, she's shifty, she dances. Like, she, she does everything you could possibly want an attacking player to do on the ball. She's that skillful. She's an elite scorer. She's an elite creator. She's just simply, like, one of the best players in the world right now. I think generally when a player is getting real minutes for Barcelona when they're available, in my mind, that's the top you know, women's team in the world right now. And, and Caroline Grant-Hampson is, is, is more than just a rotation player for them. She is a star for that team. She's someone to watch on the wing. She'll have freedom to move in inside. She'll have freedom to step wide and isolate 1v1 if she wants to. She is going to be a key player for this team. Although she's probably not the most famous player on this team, to be honest with you. Ada Hegeberg, as well, is is going to lead this team in the number nine spot. Do any of you guys want to guess how old Ada Hegeberg is? Because I would have been way off on yeah. this. Um, Gus, do you want to do you want to throw out a number? I I remember when the whole thing happened. It was like, wow, she's only like twenty one. So my guess is like twenty six. Right, well, that totally ruins you. You went under, Gus. You ruined <laughs> 30, my bet. Yeah, thirty eight. Joe Taylor, I'll, I'll that is way. totally closer to what I thought. She's twenty seven. So Gus was Gus was very close. I was so. Price you were close to rules. The, the bit was that she's younger than I thought she was, and then you just said it so that she's older than you thought she was. Anyway, she plays well, she's twenty-eight on. until she's twenty-nine. That's how it works. Grim, so help me. So, so help me. <laughs> she plays for Leon. She missed a bunch of this past season with injury, but uh, got back at the end of the year for Leon. In the past, she sat out for uh, sat out to protest, excuse me, unequal treatment. Uh, between the men's and women's national teams from Norway and has been very outspoken about you know the, the poor treatment that some of these women's players have received. That was 22. She was 22 back in, in 2017 when wow. a lot of that was really starting to become you know more mainstream and, and was starting to get a lot more discussion. She was a big part of that. So she's obviously done a lot for the game off the field, also on the field. Like she's an incredible number nine. She's an elite goal scorer, good on the ball too. She can create her own shot. Uh, she can, can connect a little bit between the lines, which helps bring the wingers into the game and the number eights into the game. But she is a goal scorer first and foremost. Finds good spots in the box. If players like like you know Caroline Grant Hansen and, and others can find her, she's going to punish opposing center backs at this competition. Again, twenty seven year old star striker for this team. Hansen and, and Hegeberg are without a doubt the two biggest players in this squad. But I will add a couple of other names as well. Sort of. Players that can pop up on the wing or could be in central midfield as well. Number 10, winger, free eight type players. The first is Frida Manum, 23-year-old player for Arsenal in the Women's Super League. Really, this past year was a breakout season for her. She became a regular starter for Arsenal, scored nine goals. Good on the ball, good score, good creator, you know, good connector as well. She had the most goal contributions of any Arsenal player this past season. She can drift and pop up in different spots. Really good right foot. Good set piece taker. If, if nowhere are going to score a set piece goal, they have a number of different options as far as who can take it for them. But, you know, she is a, a really strong one in that particular area. A lot to like about Manum. And then finally, Guru Ritten, 28 year old winger for Chelsea, although she can pop up in most central spaces. She was very important in qualifying, technical, skilled on the ball. One of many players that Norway have in their forward line or at the tip of their midfield that can cause real problems for opposing defenses. I really want Ada Hagerberg to have a, a good tournament because mm -hmm. after th everything that she went through, it felt like last summer with the Euros, she didn't quite have her moment that we all expected her 
to have a lot of excitement around Norway, drawn in a group with you, uh, with England, excuse me. And I don't think she scored, um, which was, there were other things going on there. She wasn't to blame yeah. for the way that Norway p- played at that tournament. But I would really like to see her have a, a really successful tournament at this one. Yeah, and Graham, I think some of that at least will rest on the players that are going to be lower down the field to provide the platform for Norway to really be able to thrive in the attack. Like as much talent as they have, and that's what I just spent a couple minutes talking about. The point you made earlier about the midfield is still a real question for this team. A couple of players that could end up in the number six spot or maybe as half of a double pivot if if we see that at all from Norway. Vilda Borisa, who plays for Manchester United in the Women's Super League, didn't get a ton of time this past year, but has started some big games for Norway at the international level. And the other is Ingrid Sierstad Ingen, who's a 25-year-old, you know, pretty tall defensive midfielder plays for Barcelona as well. So like there's a lot of talent in that part of the field, a lot of pedigree, uh, but there's going to be a lot of burden on those players to provide opportunities for Hegeberg and others in that attack to really go out there and thrive. All right. So Joe is expecting Norway to, uh, to make some moves in this group stage. David Goss has the Philippines making it all the way to the finals, apparently versus Australia. Uh, Goss, how are they going to do that? If they do that, who are the key players that allowed them to do so? So just to highlight the how maybe more hectic things are for the Philippines, they have not announced their official roster as of recording when most of the teams have. And there seems to be, a, my assumption is they are trying to figure out who can travel, who is available, and maybe potentially get even newer players into the group. Um, there are a lot of players, though, which is one of the interesting things about this, that play in Norway, in Finland, um, across Europe, in the U.S., a lot of college soccer players pretty much what I think the final roster will be. About 90% of the players are American-born, but there are players from other countries as well. So Sarah Egesvik, uh is a center mid coming out of Norway. She played at Charlton for two years. She was a Norwegian U16 all the way through U19 um, and ended up playing a U23 camp as well for Norway and has since now switched to the Philippines. So it sort of shows you the, the range of a 30-year-old center mid born and raised in Norway and a 16-year-old coming out of high school in Texas. And then this team has built everything in between. Uh, Sophia Harrison's a big name in this group, 24-year-old out of Maryland, uh, just was at Vetter Bremen, but left at the end of the season because she wasn't getting playing time. She was actually at the TST tournament with me, which was a very odd way that this whole thing wrapped back around together in my life. Um, and so she's going to be big expectations, plays both fullback positions. You have uh, Katrina Gilu, who's a forward out of DC originally, plays in Sweden full-time with Pitya, one of the higher teams in that league. And then Serena Bolden, who's a forward out of Santa Clara originally, who now plays in Australia via Japan, because again, everything about this team is convoluted and goes in 19 different ways. Bolden was actually a USU 23 international while she was in college at Loyola. Um, Those are the two up front, and they both can drop in, and they both can stretch the field high. So the expectation is win the ball, play it over the top to one of those two. And then it's going to be Tahani Anis, who's the captain, who is by far the heart and soul of this team in center mid. Plays in Iceland, originally from Zanesville, Ohio, uh, and went to Florida in the SEC for college. She is the center mid slash 10, and it's sort of going to be her role to make that second run, pick up the ball if it's a pullback, and either try and pick the team apart from there or be the one trying to finish breaking into the box. And a lot of it feels like the rebuild of this program has been on Anis's shoulders. She already coaches as well as playing. She's the captain of the team. And it felt like 
her coming in in the late 20 teens at 17 or 18 started to spur the movement of getting all of these American players in the door. And then since they've got the new manager, she has sort of been the leader in getting players comfortable in the group, being a part of it and wanting to be a part of it. So those are a lot of the big pieces. But again, we don't know the roster and it's pretty spread out. So there could be a player at this World Cup who we have never seen play for the Philippines. And that seems to be a part of what they're working on right now. That sounds stressful to me. It sounds fun. <laughs> and like, Chaos? Uh, yeah, I think it's not ideal, but I do think that there's like, because all of these players actually are from a similar background, because sometimes I think we see in national mm-hmm. teams, like we're seeing it on the men's side with Jamaica right now. It's like, there's a clear divide between Jamaican born and English born in the group. Mm-hmm. And there's like a 50, 50 split. I don't think that's an issue in this Philippine group. Cause it's actually like everyone is diaspora community. Pretty much it's a California national team. Joe, I couldn't even find an Arizona connection because Arizona is such a useless state. And everyone is from California. The starting Uh, center back for this team, by the way, her father is the attorney general of California. Uh, Reina Bonta is the uh, player. I don't know her dad's name because I don't really care about the attorney general of California, but it is a pretty high position. So there's that. Um, But I think it actually makes the team really interesting. And I think it's, when you talk, when you listen to the coaches' interviews about like choosing to resign and be a part of it, I think there's just a ton of excitement that it's worked and it's going in the right direction. They got sixteen thousand fans at their um, more recent friendly against Thailand, and so like there's a pretty big movement in the country. It feels like behind yeah. this team, the fact that they could get some more players in before this World Cup. It sounds very chaotic, but yeah. also very exciting. Like a like a squad full of Julian Greens who have like only just switched allegiance to play yeah. at a World Cup that, for the Philippines. That folks is the key to success. A squad full of <laughs> Julian Greens. What could go wrong? In fairness, I think most of these players would be a bit more senior than what Julian Green was bringing. But that is one of the fears for the team, which is it won't be as cohesive as it could be. And when you are the underdog, and it's we have to keep our lines clean. We have to keep, you know, we have to stay in the game as long as possible to create our moments. It feels like that's going to be a little bit of a struggle because there's not a ton of continuity in this group, but there is individual talent for moments of brilliance. And if you can hit someone unexpectedly and equalize one, one or take a lead, that's sort of a place you can be in where you can maybe worry someone. And I think when you look at this group, a New Zealand, a host that's coming in under pressure, a Norway team that underperformed in their last tournament and a Switzerland team that did the same. I think that's a spot for a Philippine national team to sort of be like, if we make someone uncomfortable, we have a chance to steal something or at least get a performance that we can take home and be proud of. That makes sense. And and, and not a a ton of pressure on them as a result. So maybe a a freedom to play that other teams might not have. I don't think Switzerland will have that. They will be the host of the next Euros. Uh, So I think there is some pressure to at the very least not embarrass themselves getting out of the group uh scoring some goals looking like a competent put together team uh i think would maybe make people even more confident heading into that the euros that they'll be hosting on home soil uh i don't know uh who will be at that euros but we do know who will be at this world cup the matter is can all of them play specifically can leah valti uh play she is their captain 30 years old plays for arsenal got a very bad ankle injury that kept her out of uh, the conclusion of the season in England, she's been out for about six weeks, is back training, is likely to play, but then you have the question of of fitness and, and just sort of is she sharp enough to go? 
And that will be a very big question because, as I said, I think they're going to be in a 4-1-3-2. She would be that one, Leah Valti. If it's not her, it's Sandrine Mulrone, who's 26 years old, plays for Servette in the Swiss League, but is certainly not nearly as accomplished as Leah Valti, who, again, with over 100 appearances playing for Arsenal, is a very high-profile player for this team, but also their leader, the sort of... Uh, metronome, the defensive organizer. She does so much for this team that I think if she is able to play, it will be an automatic difference maker. Uh, the other names you may have heard of would be Ramona Bachman, wearing the number 10, playing as a number 10, 32 years old, plays for PSG, 131 caps, scored plenty of goals. And she will be uh, the playmaker of sorts in the attack, but I think also Alicia Lehman does a lot of that. She'll likely be one of that front two. Um, and she was the one who I saw doing a lot of the dropping in, linking up play, and then sort of recycling the runs to arrive late in the box and be there for anything that pops out. But she and Ramona Bachman will interchange quite a bit. So if Lehman drops in, Bachman will make the run in behind, and they have a really good sort of positional and situational awareness, at least from the games that I saw. Uh, so I think they make for a really attacking, a really fun attacking duo. And then the aforementioned uh, Anna Maria Senegorsevich, uh, I think is also just a critical player for this team. As I said, listed as a fullback for Barcelona, came in as a right-wing substitute in their Champions League final victory, uh, scored a bunch of goals for them this season. She was there, I think, Switzerland's second top scorer in qualifying, can play a number of spots. My guess would be is that she will be on the left side of a midfield three, but will be heavily involved in the attack, sometimes moving out wide to help with the overload from Noel Moritz, who will be a bombing down that left side. One other interesting thing we see, we sometimes see the less experienced players getting minutes before the world cup, just to see, you know, sort of who fits in, who doesn't fit in, what the situation might be. And there's been some experimentation with Switzerland, but Livia Peng, 21 year old goalkeeper for Levante has started most of their recent games, which stands out because Gael uh, Talman, 37-year-old veteran uh, goalkeeper for Raul Batiste, over 100 caps, but not starting. So I don't know who the starter will be. I don't know if that was just Livia Peng getting a few minutes before the tournament starts just to see how capable of a deputy she is, or if she has moved into that starting position at the expense of the veteran Talman. But that would be one uh, to keep an eye on for the Swiss, who... My assumption will be will be pretty pragmatic for for this uh, for this tournament for this group stage. I think they are very comfortable not overcommitting. I think they can. I think when there is a point to prove about scoring goals, as I said, then they'll commit numbers. Then they'll try to kind of bomb forward and maybe overload. But I expect to see them be somewhat conservative, certainly against Norway, maybe even against New Zealand. I think they'll look to beat the Philippines, get a result against New Zealand, and then who cares about Norway because six points should be enough, and I think that's should be what they're targeting because this Swiss team is more than capable of getting out of this group. They have a lot of depth. They have a lot of consistency. They have a coach who is, by all accounts, pretty pragmatic and to the point and relays instru instructions clearly. So I think they are poised to make it out of this group. Who knows what happens after that, but they would be my other pick to do so, especially if uh, Leah Valti is able to play. Yeah. So that would be Switzerland. Any any thoughts, any notes? Yes, Joe? Just one one more beat on Serna Gorsevich. I'm glad mm -hmm. you brought her up, Taylor. She's awesome. Like She is a yeah. ton of fun. Not yeah. at the peak of her career at this point at 32 no. years old, has played in the NWSL, obviously now playing for Barcelona, like you said, Taylor. She is the real deal, though. Like She is the kind of player that can give Switzerland a moment of magic that they might need. 
um, to create something against a New Zealand, to find an extra window against the Philippines, right? To, to really punish Norway for pushing players higher up the field. Of all the players that are, are not on a team that I previewed in this group, so that rules out everybody for Norway. Cernogosevic is, is maybe the one that I'm most excited about. Now, I'm sure there'll be others that pop out of the woodwork along the way, but she is so much fun to watch, super skilled, can do things with both feet, a really good left foot, like just so much to like about her game. And you mentioned a strong season this past year for Barcelona. She's somebody that can do real damage in this group. Yes, uh, I would agree with that, Joe. Thank you for spotlighting her one more time. And I should add, uh, she was one of their top scorers in qualifying. Their top scorer outright was Kumba So, 28-year-old midfielder for Servette. I think she might be the other on the right-hand side of that like midfield attacking three of Senegorsevich, Bachman, and then it's either Geraldine Reuteler or Kumba So, who was their top scorer. So maybe if they're going attacking, it's So. Maybe if they're going more defensive, it's Reuteler. We shall see. Uh, but I think there are options. There is depth. There are uh, exciting players for this Swiss team. Cousin of Jabrilso. Yes, oh, that's right. Oh, that makes sense. That's right. So a national team player on both men's and women's side. And there we are. David Goss with the knowledge. Let's see if David Love Goss family has... connections. See? None of them to Arizona, which is important. No, just Arizona, generals. The fact that Arizona respect. can't support the Philippine national team in any way <laughs> is trash. <laughs> I already thought Arizona was trash. You know what, Guy Fieri? Why don't you go to Flavortown? Oh. <laughs> that was good. I'll give you credit Joe, for that. That was good. You that are with this slander? You okay with this? You I'm not okay. Right? I just sort of tuned everything that Goss has been saying out after he mentioned California earlier. And nice. that was like kind of the thing that did it for me. But I came back in time to hear Guy Fieri, and that did make me happy. I assume he said all nice things. Uh, yeah, that's a safe assumption. <laughs> uh, let's close this one out by doing some very specific predicting. Graham, let's start with you. One very specific prediction for New Zealand. Okay, so my VSP is a little bit in the weeds, so Joe will probably like this one. But over the last 12 months, New Zealand have averaged 8.9 final third passes per match, and that places them in the bottom wow. five teams at wow. this World Cup. My VSP is that with Rhea Percival back in the squad and I think she will probably play at least two of the mat two of the three group stage matches. And also the expectation of being the home team and all the intangible stuff that being a home team can bring, that New Zealand's final third passing average will be higher than eight point nine, but they'll still rank in the bottom sixteen for the tournament. So I think there will be an improvement, but generally their matches are going to be a bit of a slog. Optimistic start to our specific <laughs> predictions. Uh, That's why I did. To, let's That's go to why Joe I'm on this show. I need to bring down the optimism that <laughs> Joe and Taylor I'm, bring with their previews. I'm still shook. So New Zealand having 8.9 final third passes. Now, I'll be honest. I don't know exactly what a final third pass is. I would just assume that's any pass that the receiver is in the final third. Um, but even setting the specific definition yeah. aside, like you said, that that's among the five lowest coming into this competition. Yeah, so... So I think a slight clarification, clarification there is that they surely are successful final third passes, sure, like completed sure. final, rather but than like just that's attempted. still nothing, right? Like that's doing yeah, yeah. that less than nine times a game, like getting to the final third and completing a pass nine times in a game is so, well, I guess in most even contests, like easy to do. Uh, I'm I'm floored by that, Graham. I love that stat. You're right. I did love that VSP. You are completely correct about that. My VSP is more positive, uh, although Graham gave New Zealand a little bit of light there, so I do appreciate that, Graham. I've got one specifically about one of the potential stars of this tournament in Caroline Graham Hansen. Uh, she will lead the World Cup 
in successful dribbles per 90 minutes. So she will top that list of all players. She will lead them in successful dribbles per 90. She led the Champions League this past year in that same category, averaging 5.19 successful take-ons per 90 at a staggering 73% success rate. So she attempted more than 5.19, but that 73% success rate got her to 5.19. That's a ridiculous stat. Like she's almost dribbling by someone as often as New Zealand are completing a final third pass. <laughs> she's insane. Like I mentioned earlier, she dances on the ball. She's a, a one player attacking, you know, dynamite, really. She's going to do a lot of fun stuff in this tournament, and I am stoked about it. One last thing quickly on Norway that's not VSP related. A lot of the discussion, and I brought this theme up about this team is like, can they bounce back from that loss to England? Can they do it? That was embarrassing. It, it had, it forced them to reshape some parts of the program. Obviously, on the managerial side, this bracket is set up for a Norway-England meeting in the quarterfinal, which is exactly what happened in 2019. And they met in the quarterfinals, and England beat them to match up with the U.S. in the semis. This is set up if things go to plan and Norway kind of end up on top of their group and England do the same. We could see these teams meet in the knockout rounds yet again. That's going to be spicy. Spicy indeed. Uh, David, Philippines, go. So... Spoilers, not a ton of deep data on the Philippine national team, the Filipinas right now, but it will get there. So I went pretty basic, and I'm going to say that the Philippines are going to score a goal in the World Cup. <laughs> not a guarantee all the time, um, not a guarantee based off all their performances this year, but that is going to be my going out on a ledge. And as I sort of talked about, you know, they played in their last four games, they've played teams that are on the border of a World Cup. Iceland, Wales, Giants like Scotland, uh, who all were just out via UEFA qualifying. They put together strong performances. 2-1 loss to Scotland, 1-0 to Wales. So I think they'll be close. I think they'll score a goal. Um, I was going to try and figure out another way to basically be like they won't be the worst team. But I don't even think we're in that conversation because they're going to a final. So I didn't want to go that far. Do you have a, a pick for who would be the player to do it? It's fine if you don't. But I'm just, when I think about some of these teams that realistically you know, may not make the deepest runs, uh, the bandwidth for some of them are going to be smaller. And I, I'm guessing that's true for listeners as well. Is there like one player? I know you ran through a bunch of key players, but who's yeah. like the one attacking force that when I'm turning on a Philippines game, like that's who I'm watching? Either the captain, Honest, who's going to be the 10, or Serena Bolden, uh, who's going to play at one of the forward positions. Great. Thank you. Um, I will go in a similar route, though slightly more specific, hopefully. Uh, I will say that this Switzerland team will score an equalizer or winner after the 75th minute. I think, as I said, they're going to be cautious against certain uh, opponents. It will be interesting that they open up against the Philippines. So that would be the, the game that I think they would expect to win most readily easily so uh i don't know how cautious they will be in that one maybe that's where uh the philippines score david because they're a little bit too open switzerland and leave themselves vulnerable but after that game uh they've gotten away then they've got uh new zealand on the final uh match day for this group and that feels like the one that is going to be very cagey very tense and maybe if they need to kind of like get that result to get the three points, whatever it may be. Maybe that's the one where they get uh, that late equalizer, that late winner that sees them through to the next round. Uh, But I think either way, they're going to score after the 75th minute as an equalizer or a winner. Boom, baby. I'm so excited for this group. I think there's so, there's so much quality in this one, even though it's probably not 
one of the harder groups at this competition, but that opens it up for New Zealand to string together maybe 10 passes in the final third or for the Philippines to get an actual goal for us to see some fun from Switzerland and, and from Norway. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm into this. I don't, yeah. I don't know if this breaks the convention of the way you do things, but does anyone think New Zealand gets out of the group? Or Graham, no, did no. you walk away feeling that I don't way? Think so. No, I don't think so. I've I've got Switzerland top actually, oh. um, just because I think they can score goals, and I'm not quite. Norway clearly have the the best individual talent across their squad, but their inconsistency over like a prolonged period of time now worries me. So I still have Norway getting out of the group, but in second place, and then I've got New Zealand, and then Philippines probably bottom. Same, Gas. What do you have? I have Norway and New Zealand. Let's go. Ooh, let's yeah. go. I think Norway Perfect. are the top Perfect. team, as, as Graham laid out there. Um, and I think then you also look at like the way the tournament sets up. I think you have a New Zealand team coming out in the first game with the atmosphere of the opener. If you can hang on and get a result against Norway, it sets you up to beat the Philippines, and then you play Switzerland probably from a point of strength in the final group stage game. And we've seen what being a host means, and I actually think it fits New Zealand because they will play against the ball. Like, that's what you need to do if you're See. the worst team with the crowd behind you. See, before Qatar, I is. think I would have agreed with you, <laughs> right, David. Like, Qatar scarred me how bad they were because the, uh, the whole argument was, you know, look how good they've been in an Asian Cup, which is like similar to the Philippines, and how good they Cup. were in an Asian Cup. And then the argument is, you know, they're a host nation. Host nations are always a little bit better. They always overperform. And then Qatar, I think, underperformed at their own World Cup. Did, did, um, did Qatar not win the World Cup? <laughs> They did in Qatar. That's what they tell oh, people okay. in Qatar. But yeah, for the rest of the world, no, that didn't happen. Well, we shall see. Uh, I'm excited for Group A. I'm excited to have our first preview in the books. Many, many more still to come. We're going to be doing a lot of women's soccer previewing and then watching and then reviewing. Uh, but for now, Graham Ruffin, thank you for all your efforts today. Thank you, Taylor Rockwell. David Goss, thank you for the same. Thank you. Joe Lowry had to drop and then re-enter the recording, uh, and he has moved from first position in the thanking order to final position. Joe Lowry, <laughs> thank you for your efforts. You know today. what? We're we're coming back strong with Group B. Uh, I'm going to shoot for like a B overall grade on that episode because I don't think I quite nailed the A today. Um, but you know what? We'll come back stronger. We'll come back faster. I'm excited. I, I like that you've already got your World Cup uh, post game press conference quotes down. Well done, sir. Uh, thank you all for listening. For me, and we'll talk to you again soon. 